The Candid Frame is supported by donations by listeners just like you. Help us to bring you great conversations with great photographers. Support the show today with your monthly contribution through our Patreon effort at patreon.com forward slash The Candid Frame or click on the link in the show notes or the website at thecandidframe.com. Thank you. This is Ibarianax, and this is The Candid Frame. When it comes to leading a creative life, and even when you're doing the kind of work that you wanted to do, things change, and you find yourself accomplishing things that you never would have considered while you were daydreaming. If you do it long enough, you'll likely find that your career changes and evolves, and that your choices may lead you to explore things that you never would have imagined doing. That's Jennifer Swartz's story, who started her career as a portrait photographer, became a gallery owner, and is now venturing into the world of book publishing. Each phase of her career was born from a combination of necessity and desire, but most importantly, the drive to take an idea and make it a reality. All right. Well, Jennifer, welcome to The Candid Frame. It's a real pleasure and uh, an honor to have a chance to talk with you. Thank you for for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Your story is really kind of an interesting one because you've had various different phases to your career. So why don't we kind of start at the the beginning? Um, You had a uh, or have a portrait business as a photographer. Had, yes. Okay. Yes. So how how did you come to decide that you wanted to make a career as a as a photographer? So I feel like so many of the things that I've done have um, happened sort of by accident or kind of a backwards way around things, but um, fortuitous, I guess. I've just, I've always loved photography and um, I was going back to grad school for counseling and um, I was looking for a part-time job and, um, you know, something I could do on the side while I was in school and this um, photo lab where I got all my film process told me that this wedding photographer was looking for an assistant and we hit it off. He's still one of my best friends. Um, and he really encouraged me to do, to start my own thing doing portraits because I was freaked out about, I didn't want to do events. And if you miss the first kiss, it's, you know, it's Mm. all over. And, um, and with kids, especially at that point, I was, really new to using lighting and all of that kind of stuff. And it felt like less pressure and you can, you can redo it, <laughs> you know, like if the kid's freaking out, they can just come back the next day. So anyway, I started um, this portrait photography business that I had for 15 years. And it was really an interesting kind of undercurrent through um, where I could, it gave me the flexibility financially to open the gallery space and, um, which also kind of happened by accident. I was looking for studio space and every place that I needed was, or that I was looking was larger than I needed. And so it was like, Hey, you can, um, why don't I just put a little gallery in the front? That would be so fun. And it was fun and really hard, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, it started as 
the gallery as an afterthought to the portrait business and then really quickly became my focus and the portrait business was sort of the backroom funder of the gallery. You know, what's, what's interesting about your story is, is when you started your photo business, you had an idea of what your, what you wanted your, who you wanted your client to be. And, yes. uh, and that really, that lesson has sort of informed everything you've been doing in terms of the, the gallery work. And I suspect with the, with the publishing work as well. Uh, I, I'd like Absolutely. to talk about that a, a little, a little more because I think it's a lesson that a lot of people could take away a lot from. Tell us about recognizing that, you know, you just didn't want a photographer anybody you wanted to target a particular client and tell us about how you identified that client and how and what you went about doing in order to build a business based on those people you know i learned a lot in starting the portrait business it was the first business that i had started and um, made some one mistake that i so I learned what you're saying kind of in two phases. One was I didn't have kids at the time and I needed them, right? Mm -hmm. Like yeah. I needed some clients, I needed some sample photos. And so I picked five people that I knew that had kids that were in different social circles from each other and offered them a free photo shoot in exchange for them referring me to their friends and being able to use the images on my website and as a sample. And that was a great way to, to get my name out into a lot of different spaces kind of at the same time, you know, five people that lived in different parts of town and didn't know each other, didn't socialize with the same groups. So they shared my information to their mom friends and um, the business organically grew from there. What I did realize, though, um, and something that I've counseled people on going for other people that are trying to do commercial work, but also um, fine art photographers, is I priced myself way too low in the beginning um, because in my head I thought, well, this is a way to get my foot in the door. And in reality, it, it did me a disservice in two different ways. One was that people didn't they assumed that I wasn't very good because I wasn't charging very much money. And, and that's just a psychological thing. I mean, if you're at Target and you're looking at two flashlights and one's 50 cents and one's $5, you assume that the 50 cent one is crap. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of, so one was um, the perception was not what I wanted it to be um, or what it should have been. But then the other was that when I was ready to raise my prices, I kind of had to start all over with clients because the people that were using me were using me because that was the budget that they had set aside for family portraits. And so when I went, when I doubled or tripled my sitting fee and my print prices, I had priced myself out of my own client base mm. and had to kind of start over in terms of, okay, and now I need to find five people in different social circles who, you know, value family portraits more and are willing to spend more money for them. So it's a similar thing, I think, with photographers that um, fine art photographers tend to um, price their work too low because they think, oh, I just want someone to buy it. 
I don't have a gallery yet. And then not recognizing that when you do get a gallery, you now are only getting 50% of that amount, um, even if you're just showing it at a gallery. So I really suggest anyone who's trying to sell anything, especially something that's like, you know, service-based, that they need to really think about um, what their value is and how to and start where you want to be, not lower than that. But I think one of the things that stands in the way of people doing that is fear, mm-hmm. you know, especially if they're already earning a living and the idea of making that leap, charging more, trying to procure a certain amount of client gives rise to the fact that, oh my God, if I'm doing this, I may not earn a living. And that holds people back from taking that leap. So I'm sure that you had some version of that feeling when you were thinking about, you know, making the change. Can you talk a bit about how you're feeling and how you 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 made the leap? To increase my prices yeah. mm-hmm. at that time? Um, well, I think just starting something new is really scary in general. Um, and so the default is like, I want people to like me, you know, <laughs> I want right. people to use me. I want people to, um, to buy into this thing that I'm putting all of this time and resource into. But, um, I think it's just really important to think of a much longer game because like I said, I had to basically start over. I was also working way too much for the amount of money that I was making. And if you stand back and think, okay, if I had charged what it was originally should have been, I could have worked, I could have had half the clients or maybe even a third of the clients, especially in a, um, a thing like that where it's not just the sitting fee, it's the print prices. So these people that wanted to have nice pictures of their family but couldn't afford that much, well, they're already paying a sitting fee and then they're ordering just a couple of prints. Whereas if I had really put my, um, or when I did start to put my focus and energy into a client base that really valued these photos. I mean, they were ordering a ton of pictures. Um, they had already invested in the sitting fee. That was kind of the threshold of saying like, okay, you know, I'm in this. Mm-hmm. This is something that I want. And I'm really looking to buy gifts for everyone in the family and do holiday cards and, you know, get the 16 by 20s um, family portraits and stuff. And so ultimately, I mean, I needed one of those clients for 10, maybe even more of my original clients. And you make an interesting point about the fact that you were spending less time with those higher end clients than you were procuring and doing business with people who are willing to pay you less. Right. I think it's important to recognize that, that, that your time becomes valuable and that it is worth charging more, which not only gives you the potential of earning more of a living, but it gives you more of your own time back. It gives you more of your own time back and it makes you, um, it makes you have a better relationship with the clients that you do have because you can, you're spending less time overall, you know, shooting and processing, whatever, and you can put a fraction of that time back into kind of building and continuing those relationships and doing the little things that are really important to continue. I used to, um, you know, those, well, now everyone does it, but the Moo business cards where you have the photos in the back right? Mm -hmm. and you can pick however many you wanted. Well, I used to... I get a pack of 50 cards or 100 cards every 
few weeks and I would put the best photo from each of my shoots in the pack. And so there'd be like five of kid A and five of kid B and five of kid C, whatever. And then I would write a handwritten thank you note to kid A's parents with the business cards in it saying, um, you know, your son is just so adorable. I had to include him on my business card and I offer $50 off sitting, you know, off of a sitting fee or a print for referrals. So feel free to hand them out to your friends, you know? So it was kind of this triple win where it was the handwritten note and it was really thoughtful. And then they're really flattered that I wanted to use their gorgeous child, you know, as a promotional thing. And then they're much more likely to give my card out to people because they want to brag that their kid's face is on it. You're, you're demonstrating some, some keen marketing savvy was, how, did, yeah. how were you learning this stuff? Were you reading books? Were you, no. where were you picking it up from? Or were you just learning it as you, as you went along? It's just what I love. I love, I love the business of business. I love thinking about, like I said, I have a, um, my undergraduates in psychology, a master's in counseling. I, um, I love thinking about how people think and, using that insight to figure out how to best connect them with the thing that I want them to do or buy. Mm. And I think it's an important thing to think about for anyone. Um, I give a lot of advice. I just, I've written a book for photographers a while back, Crusade for Your Art. And it's really about the nuts and bolts of fine art photography, like how to submit to a gallery and how to um, get your book published and how to prepare for a portfolio review and write an artist statement. And then I always gave um, a lecture that kind of was complementary to it where I was talking more about my story and the importance of, of doing that exercise, figuring out exactly who you're trying to reach, who's most likely to appreciate your work, and who do you know that, that fits that category? You know, how can you connect with them? How can you get them to connect you with their friends and people that they know that are like them that would also appreciate your work? So I actually just wrote a follow-up book called Crusade for Your Audience, which is all about that. I think it's just important to think about for anything. If you're a fine art photographer, what do you make photos of? Who, who's most likely to like those types of photos? You know, what do they do? How do they, what interests them about landscapes or portraits or, you know, even like drill down more specifically, you know, landscape, like environmental portraits or not portraits, but like environmental issues and how can you connect with people who also connect to that issue and make them interested in buying art around it. So how did your, your photo business lead you to opening up a gallery? So I was looking for space for a studio and every place that I looked was bigger than I needed. I was like, I'll just do a little gallery. I knew nothing about galleries. I didn't, I had never tried to get my own work in a gallery. I'd never worked in a gallery in any capacity. So it's a huge learning curve, but I'm kind of into that. So um, it was fun just to kind of tackle it and just devour this problem. You know, how do I, one was just the nuts and bolts of like, how do I 
frame the work and what does it mean to represent an artist and how often am I supposed to doing shows and the lighting and how thick should the mats be and all of that. And what I realized after, you know, the first couple of openings, I'd spent so much time and energy thinking about how to, how everything should look, but not hardly any time or energy in figuring out how to get people to come. So kind of like, and I think artists do the same thing. We spend a lot of time making the work, which we should, but not very much, if any time, thinking about how to connect people to it, how to sell it. So um, I kind of opened the doors and was like, well, where, where is everybody? <laughs> and what I realized is the people that were coming, while they were mostly artists that wanted to get their own work on the walls. So it was fun, but it didn't, I wasn't selling anything, wasn't going to pay the rent for sure. And so I had to think a lot about, okay, if these aren't the people that I'm looking to reach, then who are, you know, what is that person? Like the ideal gallery patron or potential collector, like what does that person do? What do they look like? What are they interested in? What kinds of things are they doing around town? Why, who do I know that fits that category, you know, that looks like that and walks like that? And why isn't that person already having an art experience? So one was identifying the people, um, the type of person, um, and then specific people that fit that category. But then it was also trying to figure out why they weren't what the obstacles were, you know, what were the barriers to entry? Why weren't they already um, going to art openings and galleries around the city? And so not only identifying the people, but also figuring out why they weren't coming, what were the barriers to entry, mm-hmm. what were the obstacles and, and what did I have to do to get them over those, which is a whole other experiment and marketing and research and um, started reading a ton of arts engagement studies and audience engagement studies and ultimately created a lot of unique programming in the gallery to reach out to the people that I was trying to connect with. Yeah. Tell us about the, the one event that you did where you invited people with the idea of that the people who would come would be leaving that evening with a piece of art. Yeah, the walk away with art. So I decided that the gallery was, I showed photography and emerging photography. So it's already as a medium, it's more accessible, um, both kind of intellectually and it's more affordable. And also emerging photography is even more affordable. So I felt like the person that I was trying to reach was a young-ish person who was employed and had some disposable income, was probably, you know, reasonably well-educated and was interested in the cool things that were happening around the city. They probably were into the new restaurants and into wine and coffee and all this, you know, the trendy things and that art fit really well into that category, but they just hadn't had the right, the right exposure to it. And what I also thought a lot about was that people are really craving experiences in this time. 
um, you know, not just stuff, but like they want to do something cool and something different. And so I created this program called Walk Away With Art, where I had seven of my artists give seven images and one did eight. So I had 50 unique photographs that we just put in sleeves and pinned up around the gallery. And we uh, sold 50 tickets. I think they were maybe $150 a piece. And if you had a ticket, when you came in, you drew a number one to 50 and that was the order. You got to pick any piece off of the wall and it were, it hit a lot of goals. So one was that, um, one was the people. So we didn't just open it up to the whole email list. We used what I called my ambassadors, the people that had already gotten over this hurdle and were into the gallery and said, look, we're doing this event. It's going to be amazing but we only have 50 tickets. Um, if you have like a few friends that you think would be interested in coming, like I can let you sell five of the tickets, but that's it because we only have 50 total. So again, it's just so manipulative <laughs> <laughs> or they call it marketing. Um, cause really I was like, Oh my God, how am I going to sell 50 tickets? Um, but you know, in that sense I was getting, people, the exact type of person that I was trying to reach. I mean, most of this exercise was about having the opportunity for me and the artist to be in the same room and start having conversations and building just that very first beginning part of a relationship. So there was that. Um, also, people were looking at every single image because they got, they knew they got to have one. So instead of just drinking bad Chardonnay with their friends and saying like, Oh, there's art around here. They were really, really looking, um, cause they were trying to come up with a strategy and they were self-educating like this is, Oh, I'm, I'm really drawn to this, but not that. I specifically chose seven artists with really different aesthetics from each other. Also, each artist had a couple of minutes to speak about their work and, after they did, every time that we did it, people wanted more time to look again because hearing the artist speak changed their um, perception of the work. So they wanted to do another round and it was really fun. I mean, we'd, I would say number one and the person with the number one chip would come and drop it in the basket and literally walk up to the piece on the wall and take it down. And you'd hear people going, no. Mm. Um, so it was great. And it also, it got people, new people in the door and over some of those just really basic barriers entry, like what's it going to be like in the gallery and where do I park? And isn't going to be intimidating? And is everyone going to be old? And, you know, they got to meet the artists. They could, another big barrier is that people feel like they don't know enough about art to buy it. And so this gave them an opportunity to hear the artists directly speak about the piece. So they could feel a lot more confident putting it on their wall. If someone came in their house and said, tell me about this. You have art. Tell me about it. They wouldn't have to feel uncomfortable not being able to say like, oh, well, this is inspired by the such and such period in art history. They could say, I went to this amazing event and I got to pick any piece and the artist was there and he told this great story. And you know, so they can sort of sub that. People feel like they have to have an art history degree to buy art and you don't, you just have to have a connection. So it was giving people that experience. 
And how did that translate after afterwards in terms of the people who had gotten the art? Were they were they more likely to buy art at you know the standard prices from either that artist yes. or some of the other artists? Yes. So I mean, they knew that this was a special deal, and then it was it was mostly an opportunity for me to be able to to start a relationship with them, start meeting them for coffee and inviting them personally to events and kind of leading them down this path and getting them excited about um, different shows that we were doing and different artists. And helping to get them excited about what was coming up Mm -hmm. and creating that emotional connection between them themselves and the work. Right. A lot of people have an interest in in, in fi- photographers have an interest in, you know, exhibiting their work. But what do you think is important for them to understand about the people who buy the work, whether it's people who are interested in emerging work or people who are getting high-end work? What do you think is important for them to understand about the buyers that you think that a lot of photographers don't understand or get? About people that have already bought their work or that could potentially? Could potentially buy their work. One thing is um, to be able to talk about it in a way that a normal person can understand and connect to. So uh, I (laughs) help people with artist statements all the time. And I mean, I'm in this industry and I read things and say, this is, this is either saying so much it's over my head or it's just, it's like a lot of words that aren't really saying anything. Right. And, you know, if I was to read this and I'm, you know, if me personally, Jennifer was reading it and was saying, I don't know, imagine someone who's already feels intimidated about art or that they don't know. I mean, it's a photograph. Tell me what I'm looking at and why that's, why it's significant. Like why did, what compelled you to take this? What, you know, what's the feeling that you're trying, you know, what's the story you're trying to tell or the, the feeling or the emotion or how are you making me see something differently than I would ordinarily? Yeah, because I've read plenty of, of those and sometimes they come off as thesis statements mm-hmm. and I just, and my, you know, my eyes just go cold. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, I was in a gallery in... New York, this small gallery in the Lower East Side. It's like a five-floor walk-up artist studio, essentially. And um, I had gone there to view one artist's work, but there was a different artist who was sitting in the gallery at the time whose show had was up on the walls. And I was like, oh, you're the artist for this work. And um, he said, yes. And I said, tell me about it. And he's like, well, if you read this, it pretty much says everything. I'm like, you're standing in front of me and you have an opportunity to have a conversation with someone who expressed interest in your work and you're giving me a piece of paper to read, which also made no sense. Mm -hmm. And I mean, what a huge missed opportunity. And I think about the art that I buy and I mean, I have to love the piece, but if I love the artist too, that goes a really long way in making me want to buy it and then buy again. How did all this work, you know, with you working with artists, with, you know, choosing, you know, what you were going to exhibit and and all the marketing, how did that start changing your relationship with photography in terms of how you experienced and consumed it? Oh my gosh, so much. 
you know, in a way, like I started collecting around the same time that I started my gallery and which was actually really great because I could also tell like my personal story in a way that was really relatable in my personal collecting story in a way that was really relatable to people that were intimidated to collect art or were just starting out. And, you know, my tastes have evolved significantly, you know, and there are pieces that I bought early on that I still like, but I, they're not maybe as challenging as work that I would buy now. But it's also, I feel like that's okay and important and you grow. I mean, there aren't a lot of things that you like in your 20s that you might still love in your 30s or your 40s. You know, I mean, things, everything evolves and and it's okay. I mean, there's a, the first painting that I ever bought was like off of a restaurant wall and it was $400 and which was a fortune for me at that time. And it was over the mantle in my living room for years. And now it's like in the basement, my kids playroom, like within splatter distance of their own, like painting easel, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, it could not be in a less precious place, you know, and it's still really pretty, but it's not, it's not in the main viewing area by any means. And that's okay because it, it did a lot for me for a long time. And that's enough. You know, I think one of the things that I think many photographers have the misconception of with respect to the relationship between a gallery owner and, and themselves is the idea that the gallery owner and or the curator or both uh they're basically going to sell my work for me yeah. rather than seeing it as a, a collaboration between themselves and the and, and the owner yeah. C- can you talk a bit about that and use the example of uh one photographer who you felt the relationship between you and and them was uh, especially effective one that is a really difficult thing to talk about because The gallery model is complicated and not very successful in 90% of cases. You know, I think when you talk about a really, a blue chip gallery where they are taking artists to the best art fairs in the world and they have relationships with really important collectors and museums and they can give artists um, a stipend to so that to live on where they don't which doesn't really happen in photography but you know where they can live in a place in New York and paint for a year and see what comes of it that's an incredible opportunity and definitely worth the 50% commission that a gallery typically gets. I think when you're talking about a more emerging gallery, which is certainly what I was, but also a lot of even like mid-level galleries, um, it's, it's a completely different dynamic. The artist is footing so much of the bill themselves in terms of making the work, framing the work, shipping the work. Um, and, and that it's, all kind of a reaction to, you know, the work isn't that expensive. 
the sales aren't that, you know, the sales volume tends to not be that high. And then the amount of money that you make from each sale is not very high because the pieces aren't as expensive. I mean, this isn't Gagosian. This is, you know, a $600 photograph. It makes it really hard. And I think there's a lot of, um, there can be a lot of resentment from photographers who've been in the gallery system to say, you know what, I'm working my ass off and the gallery is not doing enough for me to give them that money. You know, it gets to a certain point where, okay, if the artist has built up their career enough that they have their own collector base and they have a little bit of a name and a reputation, they probably can, if they're scrappy, do their own exhibitions and do pop-up things and get their work out in a way that is authentic to them and that it doesn't, and they don't have to give away any of the, of the money. You know, there, it's just, I think it's really important for the artist to, to weigh the advantages and disadvantages. I mean, on the other hand, a bigger gallery can do a lot. I mean, I could never afford to do an art fair. It's hugely expensive to, to do an art fair and it's a big risk. And the, the volume of work I would have to sell to be able to cover the cost of the booth was just exorbitant. I mean, there's just no way um, financially for me to make that work with the type of work that I was committed to showing. It didn't really answer your question, but I talked near it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, good insight there, though. Tell me about your latest effort, the, the publishing effort. In a lot of ways, it's not dissimilar from the gallery. So the gallery, I learned really quickly, um, the system is crazy and it's not particularly good for the artists. And I'm going to try to do some things differently that could, that's going to mix it up and hopefully make it um, mutually beneficial for the gallery, which was me and the artists. Um, I really felt like it was important to work in partnership with my artists and that we would um, together kind of create opportunities and, and do think one example, I guess, is when I had Lori Verba, who is amazing and she was the first person that I represented and we were both going to photo Nola in new Orleans. Um, I think this is 2010 and hold together. I mean, it was amazing because her work is amazing and what she can do with it is unreal. Um, and I was able to find, um, this like dilapidated mansion in the Treme neighborhood that we were able to use for this one night only pop-up show. And she had, um, it was just like haunting in there, which matched her work perfectly. And she built these frames that had their own lighting in them to be able to do it. It was incredible. And it, we did it because we were both going to be there and there were going to be a ton of photographers and like photo professionals all there for the portfolio review. And it made a huge splash. I mean, a lot more than if I had done a show in my gallery in Atlanta because it got her in front of people that she wanted to. It was completely unique experience. And, and we made it happen. I mean, it was, it was different. So with the publishing, I think that I've been watching for a long time, 
um, the way that the publishing industry is evolving. And again, there's some super, you know, amazing blue chip publishers who create gorgeous books for artists, typically with a lot bigger names and sales potential. Um, and they cover all of the production costs and it's, it's a glorious experience for everyone. And then there are publishers that are publishing completely unknown people. And, um, it's a very expensive proposition for the artist and it's, it gets the artists what they want in terms of they get a book at the end, Mm -hmm. but, um, at a big cost to them that I can't see as being, um, I just don't think that that equation is balanced. And so have been looking at the publishing industry for a long time and trying to figure out if I was going to do it, how would I do it? And how could I make, how could I work with artists in a way that I love, which for me is, you know, completely collaborative and in true partnership from day one to forever. And how could we make something beautiful together where we both feel like we both have, you know, kind of equal stakes in it and we continue to work together after the book is made to, to get it out there and get it sold and get exposure for the artists. And so, you know, the way that I'm doing it is really, it's, more of a 50 50 partnership model, both in terms of like the time and energy and resources put in to the books and splitting the profits and the work in creating um, opportunities to sell the book after. And what's the, the first book that you released? So the first book is like about to ship back to the US. Um, we're printing in Turkey and it's, um, it's called Humble Cats. It's with um, the Humble Arts Foundation. They did an online exhibition um, that was wildly popular because people love cats on the internet. Um, but it was called New Cats and Art Photography, sort of a tongue-in-cheek play on this Cats of Instagram um, where they found fine art photographs of um, a lot of extremely talented photographers who happen to have a cat in an image. Um, And so they curated this incredible show and we have created a book, a physical book of that show. It's a little bit different. We've um, added a lot more work and kind of um, rejiggered the whole thing, but it's, it's an awesome, awesome book. And I'm really excited. Um, Every time, a new like set of proofs and I just got the cover proof and I'm like ah it's amazing humble cats so that's the first one and then the other book that's printing now is um Louis Palou he's a photojournalist he spent five years embedded with troops in Afghanistan and he is he the way that he photographs is really different his point of view is really unique and we're creating a um a very unconventional photo book. It's four different components that all fit together in cardboard slipcase. And um, it's kind of chaotic, like war and like how he photographs. And 
Um, there's an accordion fold and a zine and loose prints um, and a newsprint publication that all fit together and create these sort of these different chapters of Front Towards Enemy. And the whole thing can exist as a pop-up exhibition as well. So you can pull apart the newsprint and the loose things and the accordion and can hang it all to create an exhibition of the work. You know, you talked earlier about your photo business and with the gallery about identifying what kind of client you wanted, what, what the market was that you wanted to tailor yourself to. Mm-hmm. How How is that experience and that knowledge informing what you're doing with the publishing? I think it's looking at, you know, I I love photography books. And then, and there's some, and what I realize about myself and a lot of other people is that there's some books that you buy because you know the artist and you like the work and you want to either support them or you, you're like, I love Gregory Crudson. So he makes a book, you know, and I, I want to own it because I think his images are beautiful. But, but then what I've noticed as I've bought more and more books um, and it's getting a little ridiculous. Um, <laughs> I think anyone that collects photo books kind of gets to that stage pretty quickly. Like, wow, is that I'll buy something that where I've never heard of the photographer if it's just cool and different and super innovative in the way that it's put together. Um, and that's the kind of, that's what I want to look at. And that's what I'm really drawn to creating. And I think that um, it's a big, it's a big distinction um, going through a photo book fair and you just see table after table where it's like, okay, these are $50 hardcover monographs and they're all pretty formulaic, you know? And then you go to a table and they've got all kinds of stuff and stuff that you don't even think is really a book, but it, it is because it, they said it is, you know, um, you know, how can you push the boundaries of what a photo book is and why, you know, not every project needs to be bound together between two hard covers. It's really the projects that I'm looking for are ones that the work is amazing, but also putting it together, the design, you know, marrying the design to the subject in a way that creates a whole new thing. It's not just a representation, a physical representation of a photo project. It's its own art piece, the way that the design and the images come together. It's like a different iteration of that project, just like a museum, like a gallery or museum exhibition is one iteration. Well, I don't want to make a catalog, you know, I don't want to make it something that looks like you know, the brochure you would pick up of the show that you're walking around seeing. I want to create something that feels um, unique. So what was one of the more valuable takeaways of, of doing that? Because choosing select images for an exhibition is very different from choosing and laying out images for, for a book. And you'd had experience. Totally, yes. And you had experience at the gallery, you know, doing that. So when it came to to the book, what what was what was the biggest insight that you gained from from that process? I think it's like hugely liberating because in a gallery exhibition, you need to sell the individual pieces. So it's really like a greatest hits album. You know, you're really trying to put 
the most saleable works up. Um, in the absolute, and but there are a lot of really strong images that um, that aren't very commercially saleable, and so the book is just an opportunity to tell a story, and it can be a completely, completely different thing. There's just a lot more flexibility in the even just the the number of images you can include and how you include them and and other elements and text and oh it's so cool so, <laughs> so how are you finding and, uh, and are you open to you know people submitting work to to your publishing house how does that sort of work are you selecting people are you open to submissions how does it yeah i am both um you know these first two projects um and then the third is um matthew brandt did a beautiful exhibition and work that he created in atlanta and he um, showed it at Jackson Fine Art, and he's such a talented artist and an absolutely lovely human being. And um, so it's been really fun to work on a book of that that one project. But I think so. All of the projects that that are in process right now are people that I've selected that I have relationships with or have been fans of their work for a long time. And I mean, I look at work constantly. And so a lot of times I'll reach out to an artist whose work I've admired for a long time or work that I've just discovered that day. And then a lot of times other artists and curators reach out to me with suggestions. And again, it kind of has to be this perfect storm of it's the right project. It's the right, like, personal relationship. Um, it's really important for me to work with people that are great, you know? I want to work with people that I love talking to and respect and admire, and especially in this way that I explained where we're working together not just to make the book and then calling it a day, but really in pushing the book out until it sells out. So yeah, a lot of it's just, it's relationships. It's people that I trust who are recommending um, people to me. There, um, That happened just last month. Someone was like, you've got to meet this artist. And I happened to be traveling to where that artist lived. And we sat down and like, we talked for an hour before we even looked at the work and just like really got along and we're on the same page. And then the work happened to be amazing. Um, and so that was just an exciting out of left field thing. But yeah, I mean, there's happy to look at work that people submit or um, send my cats of. I'm kind of open to anything. I mean, as you can tell, the first three books that we're doing could not be more different yeah. from each other. It's like photojournalism, cats, and like historic albumin prints. <laughs> <laughs> So it's not like a particular topic. It's more just an opportunity to take a project, a series of images, and elevate it to a whole other piece of art yeah. through a book. My last question that I ask each guest is that I ask them to recommend another photographer for our listeners to discover and explore on their own. And it can be anyone, someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that one photographer be and why? That photographer would be Drew Nikonowicz. He is amazing. He 
is I met him at Paris Photo this past year um, at an Aperture event. He had he won the Aperture Portfolio Prize, um, I guess maybe two years ago now, while he was still a student in undergrad, which is insane. Um, his work is so smart, and he is, I mean, to say most artists can't speak about their work, he is unbelievable, like unbelievably articulate um, in explaining these really intense concepts that he's photographing around. Just an interesting, interesting body of work or multiple bodies of work, um, really, really strong and dedicated photographer. Well, thank you so much for your time and for your insight about all of these these things. I really enjoyed the, the conversation, so thank you. Me too. Thank you. Thanks again for joining us and to Jennifer for sharing her time and her story. To find out more about Jennifer's publishing company, visit yofipress.com. And if you're in the LA area this month, consider joining me for a two-day street photography workshop beginning on September 16th. It's an intensive course that will help you get past any obstacles or fears that you may have when it comes to practicing street photography. Not only will we explore great locations in Hollywood and downtown Los Angeles, but we have detailed critique sessions that will allow you to discover what it means to create great street photographs. To find out more and to register for the remaining spots, visit licphoto.org or click on the link in the show notes. And thank you for your continued support of TCF. If you haven't already, please take the time today to write a review in the iTunes store. Your ratings and comments help people to discover the great conversations that we offer here on the show. Thanks to Boricua67 and Ransomed and Blood for their five-star reviews. I so appreciate it. You can also support the show by making a monthly contribution through Patreon. Visit patreon.com forward slash The Candid Frame, or you'll find the link in the show notes and The Candid Frame website. Or if you just want to make a one-time contribution to the show, you can do so via PayPal by clicking on the Donate button on the Candid Frame website or the show notes. To access our complete archive of interviews, download the free Candid Frame app, available for Apple iOS, Android, and Windows. It's the fastest and most convenient way to hear and save any of the great interviews we present here at TCF. Links for each can be found in the show notes and the website at thecandidframe.com. The Candid Frame's audio engineer is Martin Taylor, who you can find at the theothermartintaylor.com. The show's senior producer is Cynthia Parker, and our music is from Kevin McLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at incompetech.com. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at simply at IbadianX. And this is IbadianX, and this is The Candid Frame.